As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Let's get started. In an incredibly busy week, we're going to be jumping around theme to theme. And we start with what you're focused on, as Lisa Mateo mentioned the tech earnings, the tech juggernaut is here. Writing a brilliant note for Wells Fargo is Chris Harvey. He is their head of equity strategy. Really sharp, dense note. Is your note top down or bottom up? It's bottom up. But we do, obviously, we spread in a little bit of macro, maybe a little bit more than a little bit. I took a toothpaste company. <laughs> and, you know, it's like what we learned in Graham Dodd and Coddle. Somebody's out this week with the best 10 books to read. And there's Graham Dodd and Coddle, you know, at edition 42, whatever it is. And it's boring, boring, boring. And the EBITDA is like 6%, 12%, whatever. Microsoft's EBITDA is three, four, five times. Describe the profit-making machinery of these selected Magnificent Six. Yeah, the the thing about the Magnificent Six or Seven or the Mega Caps is they have fortress balance sheets. They have annuity-like businesses. They have pricing power. And, and they have global brands. It, it's, they, yeah. are, they are the new Loval. They are, the market views them as a new Loval. The market views them as the panacea. The market views them as the stocks that they go to. It's the all-weather stock. Well, we heard this last week, and Mr. Harvey just identified it. Folks, for those of you that don't have a fancy degree like Chris Harvey, Paul, <laughs> annuity-like cash yeah. flows. That's what we heard last week, and that's what we start with on this Monday with Chris Harvey. Exactly. And so, Chris, I mean, for the folks that maybe missed that trade last year, what do you right. tell them this year here? I mean, uh, do I try to jump on there, or do I go to look for some other areas that maybe haven't you know, participated so, Paul, I think if you, you missed it last year, obviously, you just don't want to chase and chase and chase. I think the best place to put your money, if you're looking for tech, and we do think growth is still a pretty good area to be, is in the communication space. You do get a lot of your media companies, whether it's Meta, whether it's Google. <laughs> uh, there we go. Disney. Drink the and, and things as such. But these are companies that, again, they have great balance sheets. They have annuity-like businesses, but the valuations are very reasonable. And what we call them are momentum garb, right? Mm -hmm. Growth at a reasonable price, and they are working. And we think they'll continue to work because the underlying fundamentals are still good and valuation, unlike a lot of the other space, is still pretty attractive. And I saw your analyst, your media analyst, Steve Cajal, at over uh, uh, 
Wells Fargo just downgraded Warner Brothers Discovery, so there's lots of issues there in the traditional media space. Um, how about earnings? We're kind of just kind of in the thick of earnings. We're really going to get some of the big tech earnings here. What if, have you seen so far in this earnings cycle? What are you looking for, maybe even this week, with some of the big tech names? Yeah, what we've seen initially was a, a bit of the selling news. Right, Last week, it was a better reaction, but overall, we're still seeing a little bit of a selling news. What we're also seeing and what you would expect is just people are managing guidance. They're, they're not saying, okay, this is gonna be, they're saying it's gonna be a great year, but they're not, not backing it up with guidance raises. They're being more conservative, which is what we would expect going forward and causing a little bit of chop in, in the market right now. You know, I, I look at what to buy here, and you know, I, I like the idea and the, the big tech and that. What do you listen for in the conference calls today? Do you need, or this week I should say, do you need a validation of where the fortress balance sheet is, right. what they've done, or is it a complete Chris Harvey focus on Q3, Q4 of this year? Tom, we're looking for a ton, tons of things in earnings. We really just want to see what's going on, what people are saying, what's the hot button. Right now from financial companies, what they're saying is our clients are re-risking. Is that good, bad, and different? We're not sure just yet. Right, what are we hearing from some of the consumer companies? We're hearing, hey, we're more the, the client or the consumer is more value oriented. We're also seeing that the difference between the high end and the low end is still there. High end's much better than the low end. And, and then what we're seeing from companies or what we're looking for companies is, are they managing expectations so and how well take they it, manage? take this is brilliant. Yeah. Take it over to the tech companies. Yeah, to the, to the tech companies, we're still gonna <clears throat> we're, we're going to get that right. And, and what we expect to see is a management of expectations. You had a great year last year. You just don't want to say, hey, I don't expect these companies to come out and say this year we're raising numbers, we're raising guidance. What they want to do is they want to manage expectations. What they want to tell you it's a good year, but they want to be able to progressively step over those expectations. Because the one thing we are hearing is there's not as much visibility as you would think, and people are still concerned about the macro. 2024, it's an election year. How do you kind of factor that into your calculus? <laughs> um, politics are probably as difficult to handicap as we've seen in some time. The one thing that we do know and the one thing that we've looked at is the most important thing for an investor is who controls the Senate. If the GOP controls the Senate, usually we have a much better two-year run than we do right. if the, the Democrats control the Senate. The other thing that we're talking about a lot and I'm sure your guests have been talking about this. This is a big year. People expect this to be, be a big year for M&A. If we do see the GOP right. not just control the Senate, but the uh, excuse me, but the White House, we right. could see M&A late in the year really take another level up. And Yardani making a lot of press calling for the Roaring Twenties. Does Wells Fargo see this like Yardani out with a huge bullish call off the Roaring 2020s? I, Tom, we, we can go a bunch of different ways. We do think you're going to have a little bit more. We're surprised we haven't seen downside did, did just you, yet. Did you, did you lose money? And, and so as, as a result, we can see the market go one of two ways. We can see the market just kind of muddle along, but we can also see a situation where we do have irrational exuberance toward the end okay. of the year with M&A and things of the such. Too short. Chris Harvey, thank you so much. With Wells Fargo this thank morning. You, Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us now on a matter of national import, Gregory Vellier. Greg, I'm not going to mince words and Stravitas out with a must-read on Bloomberg Opinion about what to do here. But Gregory Vellier, it has too many echoes of Lebanon and President Reagan. What will be the response of President Biden to the wounded, to the killed in Far East Jordan? Well, good morning, Tom. He has to respond. He said he would respond. So the U.S. is sort of in a boxed into a corner. We can't not do anything. And I think if it's just a, a, an airstrike, uh, that's not enough. It's got to be uh, robust. I recommend to all of your listeners the Wall Street Journal uh, lead editorial this morning talking about what we have to do. It's It's got to be a, a robust response. Is the Pentagon communicating with the White House? I think there's a lot of people listening, both Democrats and Republicans, would say if our Valier response is run out of the White House, that could be problematic. Are the adults going to take over the adults at the Pentagon? Yeah, I, I think they will. We heard the top general over the weekend say, you know, we, we don't want to be disproportionate. We don't want this to spin out of control. But it's also a political story, as you know, Tom. And I think that politically, uh, Biden has to do something muscular. He can't have one little wimpy attack. And if he does, that's going to make his reelection prospects even more difficult. That's kind of where I wanted to go, Greg. I mean, um, this is a, a, a you know a political year, an election year. <laughs> Typically, in your experience, how does that factor into the calculus of these types of decisions? Well, it politicizes everything, and, and I think on on this, there's there's there has to be something that would convince the American public that the Iranians have been punished on this. And what we've seen since uh, the 7th of October is little little hit here, little hit there, nothing all that big. And what that does is simply embolden the Iranians. And Greg, to what extent, I mean, this is all a function of what happened on October 7th, as you uh, mentioned here. To what extent do you think the U.S. should be pressuring Israel to kind of wind this thing down or is that not on the table at this point oh i think i think off the record there's there's communications between uh the u.s and israel with the u.s saying let's cool it you know let's let's have a ceasefire for a while let's get some of these hostages back uh, i think from a pr standpoint that would be uh quite positive for israel and the u.s so, I mean, is this something, the new normal, I guess, Greg, here in the Middle East, is this what happened on October 7th? This is going to portend multiple years of just 
a higher level of unrest? Is this kind of the new normal for this next several it years? It could be. That, that, that's a, distir- a distressing conclusion, Paul, but I, I do think that uh, the Houthis have changed a lot. I'm not sure the Houthis are totally under the control of the Iranians. Uh, Yemen is now part of the narrative. So you've got some new players here, and I think because of that, uh, all bets are off. Greg, you mentioned the election here. I just want to go to the military as well. One of the discussions in James Trevitas today in an op-ed in Bloomberg Opinion really lays out a detailed military response is a third carrier in the region. I'm sorry, Greg, it's starting to, on a countable basis. It's starting to look like yeah. a war. You yeah, know, and you, it's like the you Philippines to, in 42. You have, you have to say, Tom, that this now gets us into the debate on how much we're spending on defense and a lot of hawks are saying not enough we've got problems in the south china sea we've got problems in the red sea and the persian gulf right so i think there's going to be more spending on defense okay i'll i'll, I'll go with that but the idea here that we we're going to have supposedly three carriers in one region draws resources away from other areas and i guess the basic idea is out there somewhere is an adversary that has one or two carriers or four carriers but they don't do they i mean who are we going after in terms of military threats here? Well, the enemy is illusory, and that's a problem. We, we, we don't they don't have uniforms that we can we can pinpoint. And I would add, Tom, one other complicating factor, and that's the growing sense of isolationism in the U.S., in the Republican Party. Uh, we still don't see any aid for Ukraine. We don't see any aid for Israel, for uh, Taiwan. And, and I do think this mood of isolationism makes it a lot more difficult for Biden. And that kind of goes to just, I haven't really seen a lot of reporting on this. I just wonder where the American populace is in this, because again, if you really think about it, there are a couple of hot wars out there that we're kind of involved in. And then there's a lot of other stuff that's out there in terms of unease, whether it's Taiwan and so on and so forth. Any sense of where the American public is here? I think the public is conflicted. There's no strong consensus. We obviously don't want to see gasoline prices uh, go higher or anything with the supply chain become a problem. But I think the American public also has a view that we need to spend money on domestic issues. On the domestic issues, let's go to the domestic moment. Greg Villiers, what does Nikki Haley need to do this week as she moves forward to Nevada, the Carolinas, in Super Tuesday? She has to hammer away. I think if she doesn't do well on Super Tuesday on March 5th, she's out. But she's got some time, and, and I think she'll make good use of the time. She's gotten under Trump's skin, at least. There might be more of an uh, attack by her. Uh, I still think she will not be the nominee, but she still has momentum. Greg, thank you for the time on short notice. Gregory Vellier with AGF Today. Dennis Gartman joins us now because he wanted to talk about the parallels here to the 60s and the failure of the Nifty 50 in the 70s. How Nifty 50, Dennis Gartman, are our magnificent six? The fact that we had 50 at the one time, now we only have six is the big qualifier at this point, Tom. Uh, But it does remind me so much of what happened in the Nifty 50 when you had to buy Simplicity Patterns, when you had to buy Lubrizol, when you had to buy IBM, when you had to buy any of the name of the 50 and it was to be put away forever. Uh, th- those names have all basically disappeared, or a great good number of them have disappeared. 
And from 1972 right. to 64, you had a great bear market. So be careful when you're when you're comparing the Nifty 50 yeah. to the Magnificent Seven. The, the the similarities are awfully awfully alike. The conceit here of a low tech Nifty 50 is a technological certitude of DEC, Digital Equipment Corporation. Mm -hmm. From where you sit, Dennis Gartman, do the Magnificent Six have features of the collapse of DEC? Wayne Labs and control data. I'm loving this. This is my childhood. I'm bringing out tennis. It, it, it was our childhood. We were both barely into the business at the time. I joined the business in 1972 and remember the Nifty 50 very clearly. And the similarities to me are, are, are very distinct and very clear. I'm reminded of the uh, tulip bulb mania. You and I were a little too young to remember the yeah, tulip bulb mania in the 15th century. We, we have the, the, the same circumstances that prevail. The fact that you just are supposed to buy the, the, the Magnificent Six or Magnificent Seven and hold them to forever just seems too similar, too, too frightening, too disconcerting to me. Stocks to me seem extremely overbought. But then again, I thought they were overbought in November and I thought they were overbought in December and I thought they were overbought in January. So Dennis, that's kind of where I wanted to go here. We had that big rip in the marketplace at the end of last year, I think it took even you know some of the biggest bulls by surprise in terms of the movement here. And if I think back, I don't remember seeing earnings move up at a commensurate pace to the stocks. So where are we in terms of valuation here? Uh, is this market overbought from a valuation perspective in your opinion? It's, it's, to me, take a look at, I think the real test is Tesla selling a what, 50, 60, 70 times earnings. Ford and General Motors sell a what, five and six times earnings. Should Tesla be 10 times the valuation well, of, of Ford and General Motors? I think not. But uh, thus far, I've been wrong. So you have to take that with a, with a great, great, a very large grain of salt. But uh, it, it, this does remind me very much. I've, I've thought about it for a long time. Very much of the Nifty 50, the, the, the same circumstances, yeah. the same psychology, the same type of uh, phenomenon. And uh, it bothers me greatly, no question about that. Paul, Thursday, Friday, Dan Ives, who's been constructively optimistic on Musk Tesla, really made an adjustment in tone really and attitude. I'm not gonna say he capitulated, maybe that's too strong, but he made a massive adjustment in tone off that conference call. He absolutely did, it was noticeable here. So uh, Dennis, where, where do investors go from here? I mean, do, do they sit in their two-year treasuries at 4.3% or do they try to come to the stock market and look for some values? What are you kind of thinking at this point? Well, I'm 73, so I'm, I've got so oh, much, 85% oh. of what I own is in, is in two and three-year treasury notes at this point. I own a little bit of gold, but I'm 73. If I were 50, I'd be looking for value I'd, I'd be avoiding the, the the Magnificent Six and Seven, and I'd be looking for value out there. I'd be looking at REITs. I'd be looking at uh, uh, utilities. I'd be looking at uh, regional banks. I'd be looking at the things that are unloved at this point, and they will be loved again sometime in the future. So if I were 50, I'd be looking yeah. for value. At 73, I'm looking for safety. Good morning, Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you so much for emailing in. They said, Tom, pick one. Talk to Gartman about gold or red wheat. Red <laughs> wheat doesn't cut it, Dennis. Let's talk gold right now. If I get the Bank of Japan to capitulate and I get massive, strong Damien Sassauer Japanese yen, do I want to be in gold in yen? You want to be gold in, in dollar terms. You want to be gold in euro terms. You want to be gold in, in yen terms. You want to be gold in Swiss. Well, I, I'd avoid Swiss francs at this point. But I think you need to be involved in gold in, in, in U.S. dollars and non-U.S. dollars. I think this is going to be a, 
a move quietly to the upside in the gold market. It's been a bull market for several years. It's been completely unloved. Right. Nobody's talking about it. And I think that's that's consequential. Dennis, I'm going mental. I mean, even Sweeney's <laughs> criticized me. He's vicious, folks. Off camera, Paul is tough. And Dennis, I, I'm going to cut to the chase. Gold has an underlying. 11% industrial use, 40-some percent jewelry use. Do you know that gold is used in jewelry? That's what I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Good morning. Elsa Peretti, thank you so much for listening this morning. Dennis Gartman, gold has an underlying use. Does BitDog have an underlying use? No. <laughs> Bitcoin has no underlying use other than for rank speculation, and that's all it is. Nothing more than that. And I would avoid it with at all costs. And, and especially there might be some reason to own Bitcoin because there's a, a finite amount of it to be created, but Ethereum and the rest of them can be created ad infinitum. So if you have to buy a cryptocurrency, and I think you shouldn't under any circumstance, but yeah. you have no choice, if you just can't avoid the, the, the rush to own it, okay. at least own Bitcoin. But Paul, it's, does it's, it have any value? No, it doesn't have any reason to exist. It's like a Duke, Paul. He goes up to Akron, Ohio, where martinis yep. cost $5. And Gartman's sitting there on the trust, the board, you know, the trustees board with millions and millions of dollars. And there's some student representative with three, three earrings in their, their nose, yep. saying their ears, whatever, saying, Mr. Gartman, please, we've got to have a, you know, four or 5% interest in Bitcoin. Yep. Can you imagine a heat coming off the desk from Gartman? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I would, I would reach across the desk and hit him. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Dennis, we got geopolitics, unfortunately, front and center once again yes. for investors to have to deal with in the Middle East and, of course, uh, in Eastern Europe. As you look at that kind of risk out there, how do you think investors should, you know, kind of factor in geopolitical risk, which seems to be a little bit hot right now? It's a reason to be less involved in the stock market and a reason to be more quietly involved in the gold market and a reason to be more quietly involved or more dramatically involved in the U.S. Treasury market at this point. I think geopolitics is, is back on the, on the front. It's moved from the, the, the right and left wings of the stage to the center stage, and I think it's going to become far more important over the course of the next six months. Watch what Hezbollah does in, in uh, Lebanon. Remember, Hezbollah and, and Hamas are, are themselves enemies one with the other. They may hate us, but they hate each other, too. And so you, you're putting a lot of people in a very small <laughs> geographic area, and it's going to become more problematic, not less so. Dennis, thanks for the brief. Dennis Gartman there with his optimism on the American economic experiment. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. She had like four lists. You know, there's so much news flow going on this morning. Lisa said, Tom, I got four lists. Would you look at them? I said, no, I'm, I'm having my first tang of the morning. I said, I can't do that. So... She just picked one out. What do you got? Tell me we're lions free. We're lions free because poor <laughs> Michael Barr's been battered enough. I'll leave him be. But this is something actually you guys have been talking a lot about, the whole streaming wars. Um, Amazon, today is the day. This is a fight in the Mateo household. Today they start adding those ads um, to their service for Prime. So if you don't want to see the ads, you have to pay $3 more. On the Prime video. On the Prime video, okay. yes. So the they've streaming. always had ads on Amazon.com. That's been a huge business for them, $50 billion. Now when you watch Amazon Prime. Prime. Ah, Yes, Amazon Prime. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, so they're estimating, this is Bank of America. They're saying that the new business will generate $5 billion in annual revenue um, for Amazon from that. $3 billion ad sales, additional $1.8 billion from Amazon Prime subscribers. So they're hoping it can push viewers to shop from their TVs. It's this whole thing where you can kind of So So I'm going to go to a movie. I'm going to go to four hours long Academy Award, Leonardo DiCaprio, yep. Indians, Killers of the Whatever, and they want me to buy you know toothpaste off of that. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, Absolutely. Is that what they want to do? You see the vid, the ad for toothpaste? Maybe you'll you'll. I don't know. It. Spencer Soper writing this up for for Bloomberg today. Big long article. Ad push aims to turn TVs into shopping carts. I love what they did over Digiday, Seb Joseph, about how they're going to sell ads. Do we know what we're going to see today? No, they said it's not going to be as many ads as say, you know, when you were watching regular TV and you saw the millions of commercials would come up. You know, it's not going to be as many, but you're still going to see those commercials. They're just hoping it's going to get you to. And the reason they're doing this is because if you look at Magna Global, which is probably the independent source for all advertising, Magna Global is saying by 2027, more advertising will be online video versus television first time ever okay but, but help me here how much is it but, if how much is it to get rid of this problem it's gonna cost you three dollars more a month okay so it, wait a minute to get rid 36 dollars that's a that's not even a price of ken fellio help me here it's that's not even a price of a martini at the carlisle is it i mean i mean i can't even get out of there with a negroni for 42 large for 36 bucks a year this problem goes away? Well, here's the thing that, that gets me is that Netflix took a different approach, right, Paul? So Netflix, yeah. they're letting subscribers opt into that lower cost. You know, you can pay yep. less if you want to see the ads, but yep. Amazon's not doing that. They're this just is, saying you're going to pay more if you don't want to see the commercial. This is the future. Advertising video on demand. Think about it that way. There you go. Next. (laughs) All right. Uh, Next, we're talking about New York City restaurant owners because there's a bill being pushed to abolish the tip credit. Okay. And they want to have the wait staff in the city, Long Island, Westchester, be paid $17 an hour by 2026. So there's a survey. 95% of restaurateurs, they oppose that bill. Okay. They think that tip credit that allows 
owners to pay the wait staff who earn trips less than a minimum wage. They're saying it could lead to higher menu prices if it's gone. They said it could lead to layoffs. It could even shut them down. So this report is out there. It's saying it's going to cost them about 12000 more a year to employ a full-time tipped employee if this bill goes through. Yeah, so this is it. potentially upsetting the entire <laughs> ecosystem of uh, dining. And I, you know, I don't know why you know, when you get Europeans to come to the U.S., they're like, what's this tipping thing you guys do? True. Yeah. You know, I, so I don't know. But whatever it is, that's how we do it in this country. And I would not want to try to mess with that situation here. Yeah. But by the same token, I, I'm tipping everywhere these days. Everywhere they yeah. turn the screen around to you and say, "What do you want to tip?" Are you tipping like it's you're at Seven Eleven or whatever? Yeah, you're Wawa. Uh, yeah, it's just it's, you're tipping. Tucker no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm but not. you feel the pressure because they're staring you feel right the pressure. at you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking at the screen. I know. I, it's but this story here again. It's in the New York Post about yeah. You know, if you know, make pay your wage staff a minimum wage as opposed to what you do now, which is below minimum wage, but you but they get the tips. Net, net, mm -hmm. I don't know how it all works out, right. um, but it just seems like you're going to be shifting the cost back on to the restaurant owner. Exactly. And That's that could be is. an issue. So, Last one, what do you got? Um, empty nesters. They're putting big bucks. They want to pay coaches to help them through their oh, emotional please. plan. <laughs> okay? So this is from the Wall Street Journal. They're, they're you mean if I get rid of afterthought, I'm an empty nester and that's a trauma? That's it. It's a trauma. $250 an hour coaches oh. are paying. I was going to pay her $250 coaches. to empty the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, continue. All right. I've got a pair of 27-year-olds yes. and in their lifetime um the great financial crisis that impacted them and just yes. in terms of the, okay. the household and how and then and then the pandemic so i mean they've had to endure some stuff that i'm not sure my generation did it feels like maybe my parents generation with the depression and a war and things like yeah. i mean they've had some stuff that i haven't had to deal with so i don't know but i'm just yeah you know it's definitely you, you know it, it is. But it, the, a, the parents are the ones who are going through the, the trauma, and the parents oh. need the coaching and, the, and the, the help from the professionals. It's become an actual business. I mean, there are empty nest coaches. It is There's an issue, training friend. certifications. Yeah. There, there, yeah. This is a whole um, big business. And TikTok, you've Facebook, seen, everywhere. You've <laughs> seen Michael Barr more than we have this morning. You're back in our sequestered surveillance studios, which are off from our beautiful glass <laughs> studio here. Is he okay? He's Okay. <laughs> He's, he's, okay. he, he's taking a break right now. I'm, I'm going to go pat yeah. his forehead in a little okay. bit and make sure Did you talk good. to Mrs. Barr? Is the marriage in one piece? You know? <laughs> she's feeling great this morning. She's feeling yeah. great. Yeah, I think what she won. I mean, you know, he mortgaged the house. I don't you know. It's painful to say the <laughs> least. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast, bringing you the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.